0: This episode of Earl Gray is brought to you by audible.com offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone iPad and iPod Android Kindle Windows Phone plus Mac or PC to get a free audiobook of your choice visit audibletrial.com/ trek this
1: is Houston Huddleston from New Starship and I'm restoring the Enterprise D bridge and you're listening to Trek FM <laughs>
0: The Earl Grey hot. It's time for another serving of Earl Grey, our dedicated TNG show. I'm Darren Moser, sitting in the center chair this week on the flagship of the Federation, the USS Enterprise 1701-D. I'm rendezvousing with my two co-hosts in the neutral zone. Aboard the Klingon bird of prey, Pock is Captain Daniel uh, uh Keep an eye on your first officer there, Daniel. He looks uh, twitchy.
1: Well, I appreciate the advice, Darren, but the problem is with the... With the lights this dim and kind of like this smoky fog thing going on, it's really difficult to see anyone, let alone differentiate them. But I'll—I guess I'll try to do my best to make sure he stays in line.
0: Yeah, I just don't want him to honorable you uh, in the line of duty.
1: <laughs> well, if he can find me through this, maybe he—maybe he deserves it.
0: And justy cloaking now is the Romulan warbird Hakona with commander Philip Gilfus. Philip, I'm feeling a little uneasy with so many cloaking ships around.
2: Oh god, my shoulders are killing me. <laughs> oh man. Ah, my back was not made for this uniform and and I look like a beetle. Ugh. Oh. oh well, well, I mean things are things are good here. It's very very spacious here. Um I feel very Roman. Um, All right, Centurion, that's good. Good, you have the con. So I think things are going well here. And, and, you know, if if, if you get bored, Darren, you can just dock right under my ship or right inside of it. And, you know, we can just uh, go over. We'll take you wherever you need to go. That was
0: always a scale thing that just baffled me. I'm like, okay, the Enterprise-D could fit inside of a Romulan warbird. This thing is
2: massive. but well, The Romulans, as Daniel, no, we just like to hug other people. You know, like, <laughs> we want to hug your ship. And then you know, it, as we have it in that big Romulan hug, we just might take it to the Romulan whole, home world and, you know. Unhug
0: you in the middle of the city. Display its broken hole in the center of the city. I think I've heard a Romulan quote that once before. But Well, last time we discussed the ships of TNG, we focused solely on the Federation. In this episode, we'll be covering a variety of alien vessels. So let's get started with the Klingons. Uh, first off, we have the Bird of Prey. Uh, some noticeable appearances are the, uh, oh yes, and and for those of you who can't actually see our recording, uh, Philip has all of his uh, Micro Machine edition of these awesome little figures, so he just had a bird of prey swoop over the camera, almost taking my head off, so thank you, Philip, for that visual uh, visual reference. <laughs> but starting out with uh, the Pog in A Matter of Honor, you know, Riker actually serves on this ship, so we actually see a ton of this, like interior, a lot of different rooms. Uh, what do we think about, you know, the Klingon Bird of Prey? It wasn't an, originated for TNG. It was obviously in, in the um, the original series movies, but what do we think of this craft? Uh, Daniel, let's start with you.
1: You know, I, I mean, I've always liked the Bird of Preys, um, you know, even originally when they were. Romulan um no but you know the Klingon Border Prey is the the green kind of TOS movies uh slash TNG post TNG series uh ships are really cool looking I think I like um obviously they they got their like we like we just mentioned they started in the TOS movies and they played a really really big role in um the Voyage Home. And, um, oh, yeah. and Search for Spock, They, they really, really make
2: a splash in that. <laughs>
1: they, they really do. They make a, a big splash. But it's an interesting, uh, a little bit of an interesting change, you know, when uh, Riker goes on board the Pah. And, uh, you know, he's, because mostly in the films we get to see them on the bridge and that's kind of it. Oh, and the the, the whale tank that the Klingons happen to build. Or, you know, at least have the room for. I <laughs> yeah, guess Scotty was, built it. but uh, That's the Klingon cetacean ops. oh
0: gosh it's our gift to the klingon empire we gave them a cetacean ops
1: Uh, but uh, i do i like i like it in that episode i like again as much as i like any klingon ship like i said it's in the intro it's it's a bit dark and red lit (laughs) and like it seems a little uh, maybe unconventional or, or inconvenient but uh it is very klingon and so i can appreciate it for that now, if it's
0: red lit, does that mean they're always at red alert, or do they even have another lighting scheme? You know, uh, who who knows? It it does feel like submarine warfare, though. You know, like where they have like the red lights so they have better night vision for some reason inside their submer submarines. <laughs> <laughs> well, Philip, what what are your thoughts on this uh, bird of prey?
2: Well, you know, it, it was interesting when we had our last uh, Ships of the Line discussion. I would say the majority, if not all, of the ships we talked about were not TNG originals. And so here, like we said, the Bird of Prey is not a TNG original. Um, and, and and I know we'll talk about some other ships here in a moment. Um, but the Bird of Prey certainly was, I, I'd say, about 75% of the time they were Klingons. They were in a Bird of Prey. And I think that they're probably the only weird thing about TG and I also include the, the first movie is that the scale of the bird of prey, like yes, I was, there's like, I wanted there's like to mention five that. birds of play <laughs> birds of prey that all look alike, but some are like this big <laughs> and some are like this big. And it just depends what they're parked next to. Cause it's, it's like, Oh, that's just a bird of prey. Yeah. You, you can blow it up with one torpedo or that's a bird of prey. It just took out, you know, three Starfleet vessels and another Klingon ship.
0: <laughs> now you're right. I feel like there's, maybe at least two different sizes, like a smaller bird of prey, like maybe like general Martok's, you know, flagship. And then there's like a larger bird of prey, like the one that takes out the enterprise D. I mean, uh, but it's hard. I mean, Troy, was a
2: 24 rebuilt bird of prey, 25 year old, you know, (laughs) rebuilt engine or whatever. I
0: don't know. Exactly. It's, it's tough because it, it, like you said, it's, it's all about scale. It's all about what it's parked next to. And And, you know, there's it's kind of hard to get a sense of that scale unless it's literally like docking with the Enterprise or something. But it's
2: usually shooting at the Enterprise. So is the Klingon bird of prey the Excelsior class of the Klingon Empire? Because that thing has been in use about the same amount of time. I think
0: I think you're right. I think it's also uh, highly used because they have so much footage of it from the movies, and I mean, I, I can't t- tell how many times I've seen that one Klingon get sucked out into space. Uh, if from the that's from Star Trek, I think six uh, that footage. But
1: but the one thing we're missing that we never got to see is is footage of a, of a bird of prey exploding. I just feel like that was missing from <laughs> all of Star Trek, and
0: no, like it needs more than one shot. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, I think it'd be a little dangerous though with that Ford Mountain, you know, disruptor cannon because that's how it docks. So, can you imagine like it just docked at like DS Nine or something, and then it, someone accidentally hits the wrong button and it just takes out like a third of the docking ring.
2: Well, the good thing, though, it takes a while, you know, it has to glow first for a while. That's true. And then, like, it's like the, you know, the yellow light that let you know, you know, something's about to happen. It's like when a turkey's
0: yeah. being cooked, the little red thing pops up and you know it's time, time <laughs> to go.
1: And the one thing, too, is it's a good thing that, like, 50 or 60 years before TNG – they never developed the technology to fire when cloaked because that would have really meant that they would have been a formidable ship, you know what I mean, that could do all sorts of crazy things in TNG. So I'm just glad that that never happened is all I want to say.
2: Yeah, and it, I mean, I th- it would have been good if their library computers were filled with Klingon too. That probably <laughs> would have made them cooler. Well, well, you one thing about the, the Klingon Bird of Prey, and again, it's not a TNG original, but I think the more I look at it, the more it does seem more of a Romulan ship. I mean, a it's green. I mean, let's throw that out there. I mean, because you think the Klingon, you know, that that D seven or the Katinga or whatever you call it, that original series one, which does show up show up again in TNG, because um, we were using that much old <laughs> ships. Um, but but you know, it, it does with the the tactical wings that move and all that stuff. The paint but, scheme yeah. on the bottom, yeah, yeah, all yeah, no. yeah. fancy for the Klingons is what I'm saying, you know.
0: Well, yeah, that's true. If they designed a the ship, it'd probably look like a you know gray box uh, with maybe a couple antennas sticking out of the top and a giant weapon on the front and a big engine on the back. But uh, but no, it's an it's a awesome, versatile ship. Uh, but uh, like we've said many times, it wasn't originated in TNG. But this next ship was created for TNG. It's the Watcha class. And this thing is awesome because, again, we'd seen a ton... Of a uh, bird of prey, but then when this thing showed up on the scene, I think it was first seen in Reunion. Uh, it's, I think, it's bringing the the chancellorship. It was often used as his as his command ship, but this thing was huge, and that was very welcome, a very welcome addition. Because although their micro machines aren't quite in the same scale, but <laughs> uh, but when this thing was parked next to the Enterprise D, you're like, okay, this is actually a Klingon like capital ship. You know, instead of I can't see the the chancellor of the Klingon Empire toting around on a small bird of prey. Like, I mean, is this like Henry Ford and they have to have interchangeable you know wings? Like that's why every ship in the entire armada is a bird of prey. But no, when this thing got there, it you you could tell this could take out or at least put up a good fight against the Enterprise D. But so cycling around again, uh, Daniel, what were your thoughts when this showed up on the scene?
1: You know, it's not as pretty as the as the bird of prey. It's not as uh, it's not as iconic or as long lasting. It's you know, it's a bit clumsier of a design. But I'm glad that they came up with it. It makes a lot of sense for the Klingons to have a bigger ship that that's more imposing, that's that's more impressive, that's newer. You know, that's not that's not uh, Excelsior class age. <laughs> um, I, I don't like it as much. Uh, like I said, from an aesthetic perspective. Um, But I I do like the fact that they were like, you know what, the Klingons, you know, straightforward as they may be, have come up with some new designs in the past 70 years or whatever.
0: And it did feel like a Klingon ship. Like when it shows up, you can tell like, OK, I know who designed this. It's, you know, it's like. It's like Apple products, like you can tell if someone's you know that Johnny Ive designed it. I, the, the Johnny Ive of the Klingon High Council obviously designed this ship with all of its nice uh Klingon edges.
1: Well, in it, it, you know, I think it was a purposeful um design choice to go back towards the D7, I think yeah. that that was like where they were going with it. Like, oh, this is more of a traditional Klingon design. And, uh, that's yeah, it doesn't I think have they
0: they the pencil to, yeah. neck with the ping pong ball on the front. It's a little more right. balanced out.
1: Yeah,
2: exactly. They didn't paint a bird on it or anything. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, this is the attack cruiser. Um, I mean, it, it's sort of the I don't know, the star destroyer of the Empire. Um, it kind of know, is. <laughs> I mean, because it's it's definitely one of the like clunkier ships or the more textury. Ships of Star Trek: The Next Generation, because we'll talk about other ones, and they're much more smoother, just like Starfleet. But this one's kind of like a brick of block, you know, ship, and you know, it's I, I can just see like a little X-wing flying through it, you know. Shoo, shoo, shoo. You gotta destroy the the big red thing in the middle. Yeah. That's
0: wait, that's the phaser bank. No, well, and
2: I I, I had one of these uh,
0: Playmates toys of this cruiser, and it would ha- have many battles against uh, the Enterprise D. Um, but and I think actually I remember reading in a manual that that front little kind of pod, you know, uh, diamond shape could actually separate like if it's a lifeboat and i'm like yeah i don't really see the klingons ever
2: doing that (laughs) maybe to launch it as a big torpedo i could see that
1: women (laughs) and (laughs) patogs to the escape pod
0: (laughs) that's true because i mean they did have women on their ships and uh, (laughs) and i'm sure some of them you know called the 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 male crew patogs. so that that that's totally applicable
2: that's right. You know, you always had to, when you needed to get to sleep and you needed a glass of warm milk, never mind.
0: <laughs> well, you know, another ship that was first on the scene in TNG, moving on to the Romulans, we have uh, the d Warbird. And, oh my gosh, this thing was massive. I mean, we've already touched on it a tiny bit uh, in the in the intro, but yeah, this thing. Would, I mean, when it shows up in the neutral zone and goes like nose to nose with the Enterprise D, yeah, it it's bad because, uh, I mean, yeah, it, like we've said before, the Enterprise D could fit inside it, like give it, it could give it a nice big hug and just crush it. Uh, but it did apply to Roddenberry's rules of the warp engines need to see each other.
2: Yeah, and I think the uh, I think the original argument was for it to be uh, vertical instead of horizontal. Cause the designers really wanted to go different. And They're like, no, you can't do that. That's it's against the rules. It has to be a horizontal ship. Um, but yeah, I, I think I know, the vertical,
0: know. yeah, yeah, was was a concept. But I think the it, purposely to contrast the horizontalness of Federation ships. But I think what it eventually broke down to is just how do you get them into the same frame. Because you could have the Enterprise D, but then ha- you know a, a quarter of the top and bottom wing are never going to be in the shot unless it's farther away and then it's not as imposing.
1: I'm I so glad we're talking about this because besides <laughs> – well, it is about Romulans. And besides some of the Enterprise designs, this is hands down without a shadow of a doubt my favorite ship in all of Star Trek. I think it is – it is uh, the coolest designed, the the most interesting to look at. It's got the the contours and the shit and the hollows and the the way it just kind of flows together. It's it, it and the size of it, as we know, and the complexity of it is just. It's I, I actually feel like we never really got an accurate representation on screen just of how massive this thing is, or how, of how massive it's supposed to be, um, and. I, I just I wish, and this is what I would look forward to in a new Star Trek show would be like this ship showing up next to the Federation ship and literally just dwarfing it because that's uh, that's what I know that was their intention and it's just it's just a magnificent beautiful design. And very, very threatening, which is what it was, was designed for.
0: Well, I mean, the Romulans are go big or go home. I mean, their ships are powered by an artificial black hole. So they're like, yeah, if we lose containment, we're just going to say bye-bye this little piece of the quadrant because it's just going to be gone. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and these ships, as big as they are, I was just watching Unification Part 2 today, which had a, a warbird in it, um, but but I think even when in uh, the Defector, when you had multiple warbirds decloaking, um, these things move fast. I mean, you know, you see the Enterprise, and it kind of like clinks this way or clinks that way. Warbirds just kind of swoop in and swoop out, you yeah. know, and, and and you have the cloaking device and everything, so the disruptors, and you still, of course, like it has any Romulan ship, it has to have the the bird on it so right but yeah i mean i think this is the most original one of the most original ships like daniel said
0: well and again like the bird of prey in um, a matter of honor we see a lot of this ship from the interior and such uh, i mean there's um face of the enemy where troy is on board one so she sees a lot of it there's uh i think it's timescape is that the one where uh they're they're frozen. Uh, yeah. And so there's like a. That, that was a cool shot. Like, I'd like a map painting of just that. Like, the frozen warbird firing on the Enterprise D. That the. Uh, when the runabout shows up, uh, as, as TNG is like, hey, can we borrow your runabout? And they're like, okay, don't <laughs> scratch it. But yeah, we get to see a lot of the interior of this. Uh, and I love how in their engine room, though, they have that standard homage six sided um you know control surface very similar to what we see in the original series Warbird not like the TARDIS control but like the original series Warbird
1: and the one thing i wanted to mention too was um in the in the episode the enemy i believe it is this episode it's one of my favorite moments uh, uh i just love this moment in in the next generation when uh Tomalak and Picard are facing off and they're ready to go to battle and Tomalak is ju- is just as much as Picard is i suppose but Tomalak is fairly certain that he's going to defeat this to him puny galaxy class starship and then the three birds of prey uncloak and so so it really takes a galaxy class starship and three birds of prey to intimidate one of these class of ships enough to back down you know their position so uh, you know that just shows how tough and how really impressive these ships are
0: we'll see Picard is a master magic the gathering player he knew how to build a pro- appropriate deck to take out <laughs> the uh, the romulans and he knew one one Federation flagship plus three, three war, uh, birds of How prey. How big were the bird of praise? That's, How big? That's was true. It, was
2: it medium or was this super gold bird of prey? <laughs> super, super gold. gold.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, and, uh, man, Tomalak, when you had that man behind, uh, you know, on the bridge of a warbird, it was scary because he was a great, great Romulan character. Uh, probably very much a foil against Picard. Like he, you know, the fact that he showed up multiple times and even though some of those times were not real, but,
2: uh, but that's, (laughs) they were (laughs) imperfect. They were imperfect.
1: Oh, I see what you did there. Uh,
0: Well, also, uh, you know, scaling down uh, to a much smaller class of ship, we have the scout ship that the Romulans had, which we saw in the defector. And this was cool, too, because, again, it was instantly recognizable as a Romulan ship. But um, and you could tell, you know, this is probably like their runabout. It's probably about that same size uh, heading, he- you know, bigger than a shuttle, but uh, and bigger than a bread box, bigger than a shuttle red bread box. But <laughs> uh, but what did we think about this design? Again, just a continuation of of the Romulans. They sure like green. I mean, it's very, very green. <laughs>
1: You know, I, I th- in a way this is the designer's intention, but on the other hand, I don't think they ex- they meant it to go this far, but when I look at it I'm like, oh that's cute. The uh, you know, the Romulan Warbird had a baby. It's a little, <laughs> it just it just hatched from an egg, Mama. You know? like <laughs> that's all I see. It's like <laughs> like it makes sense. It definitely fits the mold of like this is what exactly you would get if you skilled things way down and this is just a personal craft or whatever but like i look at it and like just the shape of the like the nose or the beak of the ship or whatever you want to call it And it's just like all right it's 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 uh it's yeah it's it's romulan ship baby uh, you know uh you know just like muppet babies but
2: romulan babies i was thinking I muppet too i was thinking <laughs> muppet <too. laughs> romulan
1: babies they're so cute and small <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's not easy being green um, but, but I, I, but I, I think the, the, the problem I would have loved to see this again like did they ever show this like, they should have showed this in D Space 9 or something but like I would have loved to see this again because I think that when you see it in the Defector it's like clearly a model I mean like I know yeah, all the ships are it's pretty obvious I forget how they do the scales of how easy a model is but this would be like A like you pull it out of the box and that's it like there's no assembly at all like that's it right there there's your model um, because it's just so super smooth. Like you know, even you know, even our shuttlecraft and runabouts aren't like super smooth. It's just like a yeah. There you go, boom. There you go.
0: I'm trying to remember if this model was also used by the Romulan in in the Pale Moonlight. I know they had a Romulan small support craft, but I can't remember if it was this exact kind or a, or a newer one.
2: But well, that one wasn't wasn't real like this one. That one was a
1: fake
2: but
0: anyway so okay now so we've had the klingons we've had the romulans lots of green let's let's change up our color palette just a little bit and we're moving no 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 we're moving on to the Cardassians. yes again i know you niners think that all Cardassians come from uh, ds9 but before they were the main foil uh we had them being hunted down by a rogue Federation captain in the wounded and you had the Galar class uh, which basically is I mean that's like the epitome of um, like the Starfleet logo being a ship because it's basically (laughs) the Cardassian logo for like everything made into a ship uh, if you look at it from the top so uh, but the one thing about this ship that always kind of bugged me it had nothing to do with the ship but Probably about half the times I saw this in like a, a Star Trek magazine or some box art or something. It was always pointed the wrong way. And people always wanted to make the, you know, the kind of the tail bit with the two, you know, I guess parts of its engines or something, you know, that they made that the front. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure it that's not They're the not front. They're not Klingons. Yeah. I mean, geez, <laughs> it just turned it around. But uh but this yellow, sometimes goldish ship um showed up uh, again in in t by those awesome head headdress wearing <laughs> helmet wearing Cardassians <laughs> uh, in the wounded some are fur, some are not oh yeah with their with their weird uh ish <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh
2: mustaches but
0: uh so Dan- uh, Daniel, what did you think of this ship when it came on the scene
1: you know I d- i don't know um Cardass- you know, Cardassian ship uh ship design, maybe like the Cardassian uh, the Cardassian society or the Cardassian culture that we learn. We don't learn it right away, but maybe later on might be a little bit more utilitarian. Um so it's a bit boring of a ship design to me. I'm just kinda I look at it and I'm like, well, it's definitely Cardassian. Uh but Are you saying know- Cardassians are boring? <laughs> No, 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 no. I mean to say that you know they're 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 more about utility and they're more about what is the function of this? What can I do with this? How can I use this as a tool? There's probably no observation
0: lounge. Let's just say no,
1: (laughs) exactly. And um, you know, and I don't know. It's it's I don't have any problems with the ship design. I think it's fine. I think it works. Um, I just don't find it particularly exciting in any way. That's just me.
2: Well, I mean, I think it is it is a unique design. I mean, because like I said, for, for the ships we're talking about, these are all TNG originals. So, it's, you know, it's one of those things like how do you – and the Katara scenes are original alien for TNG. You know, and so they're, you're building this thing out of whole cloth. What do, you, what do you want it to look at? I mean, it's sort of the Manta Ray ship design, you know, with the little fins on the, on the side or whatever. I
0: mean, thank God it's really aerodynamic because in space – that's really important
2: <laughs> yeah but I mean it's it's when, when I, as, as I look at the little micromachine model in my hand it is hard to see like where there's features like where does I mean I, I guess I know where the phasers and photon torpedoes or whatever they have come out but I mean it, it's it's sort of to me a cross between the fortune class attack cruiser because it does have kind of a star wars ish layer texture ability to it that you don't know what all these things do but that's green like yeah, but on like the Starfleet vessels, you don't really see like where's the phaser array, where's the shuttle bay, where's the, and I don't know, maybe you see closer on a maybe that's the shuttle bay, <laughs> maybe you see it closer in Deep Space Nine episodes, but you know but that was the thing they introduced the concept. I don't like, I don't think the appearance changed between TNG or Deep Space Nine, but maybe they were able to show some texture, you know, maybe they were able to focus on the character development of the Galore class <laughs> ship in Deep Space Nine.
0: Oh, gosh. Well, we did get to see them being built in shipyards, and that was cool. I liked how the Cardassian shipyards were basically, you could tell, it was similar to DS9 and, like, their architecture. Like, how they build, you know, space stations and shipyards all looked similar. Uh, But, yeah.
2: So, again. Do we know what that thing on the end is? I, I can never figure I out.
0: I don't even know because it—it's not. I don't think it's the engines. I think
2: those are in the their wings. Grappler? Do they not have tractor beams?
0: It's—it's it's doing this. It's like the two fingers in my eye, and I'm watching you, and then two fingers <laughs> at your eye. It's doing that all the time. So, but oh,
2: now those bloody cardies.
0: As we move into our other category, uh, because that—that's kind of the the main races um we hit a seldom seen ship because they didn't pan out as the m- big bad villain of TNG the frangi decora class or basically the i think it's also known as the frangi marauder, marauder uh, which again um i would file under logo ships because it looks a lot like the frangi logo from the top down um and again this was hard on scale because it looked pretty comparable to the size of the d it was huge and the internal volume had to be massive because it's it's pretty bulky it's got a lot of junk in its posterior trunk (laughs) (laughs) Um, but (laughs) uh, but um uh, i like big
2: engines i cannot lie
0: (laughs) but uh the the, one of the cool things uh, upon researching this it actually also had a like auxiliary craft on the bottom similar to like the arrow wing on the Voyager that wasn't used and the Calypso Captain's Yacht and the Enterprise D that wasn't used. But uh, again, uh, probably the model makers were putting a lot of detail into this as it again was supposed to be the Frankie who were supposed to be the, the big bad and they did not uh, pan out with their laser whips. Uh, but, uh, but once again, Daniel, w- when this showed up, and their bridges were bright, bright white, a la Q
1: <laughs> Continuum. Uh, what were what were your thoughts? <laughs> I actually really like this ship design, and I I'm I'm kind of upset that we never got to see more of it. Um, like, couldn't they have given it to another species? Like, why why did this have yeah, to be attention? Like, yeah, to the I frame? mean, like, yeah, you're right. Like, obviously, there was a you know, obviously the the Frengi on TNJ were a huge blunder, like a huge misstep, and and just a big big issue and a big problem, but the ship design, I think, is really inspired and really fantastic, and I don't know if this is just my imagination watching those early Season 1 episodes or if this was intended, but I always thought that that maybe, and I never considered it before, but I, I, would, I would probably put this ship design um, in scale on uh, in comparison to the Warbird. I always thought that this was a bigger ship than the Enterprise, even if it was a lot of maybe on time, you know, shown on screen is comparable. But I, the, the size of the windows on the ship and like the, the length of it and the, the thickness of it. Um, I always thought that it was just for some reason I always thought it was huge, like a really massive, massive ship. And uh, I, I wish we got to see more of it. You're right. Maybe since we didn't get Ferengi's right. Maybe they should have given it to someone else or what. I don't know. How much did that ship cost? <laughs>
0: that, that's why. <laughs> Well, yeah. and but the ship design did carry on into you know, like, strangy shuttles obviously had that same look and feel. Uh, and you know, we would see this later on in like, uh, Menage à Troy, uh, and other, you know, episodes. But, but yeah, like, I think it's the last outpost where you see the Enterprise D and the, the Frangi ship facing each other like orbiting a planet. And that's I think the best sense you get of their actual scale because you're you're looking straight on the size. Like you're not one's closer and one's farther away. And yeah, it's it's probably at least as long as the Enterprise D, if not slightly longer, but it's just more dense. Uh it's I mean whereas the Enterprise is like a secondary hole and a primary hole and a saucer and, and engines, this is just like, you know, it's like a bug. It's like a it's like a bug with a shell, and it's just full of decks and probably just tons of cargo space,
2: like a grub almost. Exactly, yes,
0: a tube oh, grub.
2: Yeah, I mean, both in the last outpost and in I'm blanking on the other title of the Stargazer episode, the battle, um, the battle. There you go. Um, which Sorry, I just. When, when, you see, there. when you see the the windows in the back, I mean that like there must be like five thousand Ferengi on every ship because I mean it's like, like a star destroyer just,
0: like, like there's windows everywhere. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then they have like the little like patooey, patooey Petui parts to their to their ship, which I think is stupid because it's like don't they fire like missiles or something? Because I don't know, I think maybe they just changed what the ship could do because it went from like. You know, the last outpost, like, oh, there's the Ferengi. They're just as big as us and have the same kind of weapons and we can both blow each other up. And then, like, after that, it's like, oh, it's the Ferengi. They'll just throw a spitball at us, you know, so.
0: Well, and doesn't the ship also show up in peak performance? Uh, yes. Because the Ferengi yes. are the ones who, who show yes. up. And that's where, you know, our shields are all set to, you know, fun mode. And they don't actually <laughs> they don't actually do anything. And he's like, and he's, you know, again, the, the super white bridge. And he's like, Commander Riker, why would you protect the inferior (laughs) ship?
2: I want its treasure. I want the other ship. Darren, how long have you been keeping that one in your pocket? You yeah, I like this. That. that was we good. Anyone can do a
0: Ferengi. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's really not that hard. Well, And, and like we've said, again, the, the Ferengi didn't pan out as the big villain, but I think a lot of that has to do with how they're written. I think the way Ferengi were written in DS9, if that is how they were introduced, like more as scheming and conniving and very, very clever and good, like, tacticians, that I think would have been a formidable foe instead of bearskin rugs and laser whips but
2: well i think they were an investment that eventually paid off yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) to to be fair i mean don't get me wrong when i say this because they are a thousand times better in deep space nine than they are in uh you know in they they are there in tng but i think even even deep space nine a lot of deep space nine fans or just general star trek fans still don't care for the Ferengi, even in Deep Space Nine, like they might be okay with Quark because Quark is interesting and you don't think the, Maro-
0: the Magnificent Ferengi is a great episode that totally pays homage I, I, to the. <laughs> to the <magnificent laughs> I actually ser-
1: think the Magnificent. I actually love that episode. It's one of my favorite, but but not you know that's a that's a it's a minority opinion, um, but but. Um, the thing is, like, even if you took the TNG original Ferengi or the Deep Space Nine Ferengi, this ship design does not fit that either of those races. Like, it makes no sense for this for this race to have this massive conglomerate ship, where because they would never do that, right? Like, like. Even like in the beginning, we didn't know where they were, and we got them all wrong. And then the Deep Space Nine, they were all out for themselves and only for profit. Like maybe there would be one that the Grand Nagus would have. Like it would be Grand Nagus One or Ferenginar One or whatever <laughs> you would call one. it. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, so like as a because it was like when they introduced it, it was like a warship, and it was like these guys are scary. And just like Philip said, like they, they, in that episode, they introduced it as, oh, they have. The similar, you know, similar capabilities as us, and uh, oh, that's convenient. That's thanks plot device. Um, but, but you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I I do. I wish that we the Ferengi were either different or we they just gave them to someone else more interesting, at least from a like a like a tactical perspective from a from an adversarial perspective.
2: Doesn't it look like the Rebel logo. Instead? Yeah, it, it does, does a little bit. Yeah, it, does look it definitely a lot does. Like yeah. It. But,
0: and, and you're right, and I think I I would I always visioned it as the Ferengi would have whatever ship they had bought or, or swindled from someone. Like, their fleet should be made up of, like, a hodgepodge of, like, all these other races, and and that way they can, like, sneak around, and you don't... It's like, oh, look, here comes the ship. Oh, they got Ferengi on it. Oh, I didn't see that coming, you know? Or, or again, like we were saying, the ship is so massive. What if this was more like a uh, a trade center? Like... They traveled around in large groups and and took, like, large... I mean, this would basically would go to a system and then be, like, the commerce port for the Ferengi Alliance in orbit of that planet. Like, it's big enough. It could handle that. Uh, I don't know. It, again, lost opportunities there, but... Are you saying it's the Costco of space? (laughs) Uh, Yes, it could be. It could be the Costco of of space, but... um,
1: you know. All I could think of, Darren, there when you were mentioning that this would be kind of like whatever the whatever the Ferengis could get to get to you know to get, get get to warp to get get for transporters like whatever they could pull together whatever they could buy. All I could think of was they have things things that make us go.
0: I was just gonna say we do know though that the Frankie bought warp drive. I mean that right. they so again that I think maybe that's the seed of that thought of well what if they just bought all their technology. Like they, why invent when you can convince someone to sell it to you?
2: Well, instead from Cochran's defense, he was really wanted to drink and <laughs> he was court low and the Ferengi bar guy. Anyway. Um, but you know, oh. it, I almost wish that they had uh, that they had waited to introduce the Ferengi because I could almost see, like we just talked about, you know, if they had introduced maybe some species in the next generation, and then you know what we knew from the movie, original movies, and all that, like all their ships could just always be just like the, you know, a bunch of ship models they just smooshed together. Like, oh, there's a part of a Klingon Bird of Prey with a Federation nacelle, and you know something, and they could just, and it could always look different. They just, you know, and from a design standpoint, it's easy just to tear apart models and start gluing stuff together, and boom, it's a Ferengi ship.
0: That would actually be awesome. I think kids would love that because then it's like a Frankie ship shows up. Oh, what's it going to look like this week? You know, like a different kit bash each time,
1: you know, Philip. And that's amazing because the other thing I was thinking while you were, while you're mentioning that is how good of friends Zephyrm, Cochran and Quark would have become because let's be fair, you know, Cochran probably would have, probably would have bought out Quark's bar. And to be fair, um, James Cromwell showed up on New Space Nine in the TNG episode. I believe it was Birthright Part 1. Uh, and uh, so really, he he was kind of there anyways. And um, I'm just saying, you know, they, they probably would have got along quite a bit.
2: Yeah, they both like naked women and lots of money. Well, and then I also liked the episode where he's a
0: that alien with the little piece that's kind of like connecting his top and bottom lip uh, and they're trying to buy, I think like tulip berry wine or something and they're diffusing the torpedo and uh, that I think the way he acts in that is very similar to, I think the way Zephyrin Cochran would kind of had, have some attitude or he would know he's being played and just goes, goes up against him.
1: And the one other thing I have to say about that is let's posit this let's, let's suppose this circumstance happened where, uh, Sefram Cochran was in, or any of, of, uh, James Cromwell's characters was in Cork's bar. Big, and big in the city. Well, hang on. We're getting there. <laughs> the <clown? laughs> And, and James Cromwell, he sees a tellerite sitting at the bar and he says, that'll do pig. That'll do. Oh, now, is that racist?
0: That's, I don't that's know. A, you don't be a racist. Wesley Daniel, that's okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're such a pig. <laughs>
0: Well, I liked what you are saying about, you know, again, the Ferengi ships possibly being that kitbash. But on the other end of the spectrum, if you want to talk about not boring ships, but very simple ships, you have the Borg. Uh, Yeah, they're just, a, it's a giant cube. And apparently they're so identical you can't even tell them apart. So, but uh, I mean, yes, in Voyager they would start to add flavors. Some were longer, some were... Ground, some were pointy but were they oscar meyer hot dogs <laughs> <laughs> but um but in, T- in tng at least i mean it was just this imposing you know ship and you want to talk about scale this thing was massive i mean if it showed up right next to the uh you know a bird of prey i think the bird of prey would still run away scared because it was, <laughs> was, was huge. which bird of prey which bird of prey or even a warbird, a warbird. That's what I meant. Like the the super large, bigger than the the Enterprise D. But, uh, but I mean, what did we uh, again? I, I keep saying like, think about this design though, because it was very different and unconventional compared to every other ship. Uh, I'd kind of expect their logo to be a cube, but instead of some weird hand thing. But, uh, <laughs> Philip, let's start with you with your micro machine.
2: The Borg did not. That, that was the the weirdo Borg that had the actual. Symbol. Oh, that's
0: true. That Lores Borg, <laughs> the Lor the Lore Borg.
1: That's not true. That's not, that's actually not true. Um, you can wait, see. Wait, push I'm your sorry. glasses uh, up before you say that. Uh, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, in In Best of Both Worlds, uh, you can clearly see the the hand symbol um, in the background. It's true. I think. I'm pretty sure. I'm sorry if I interrupted you and I'm wrong, but I'm almost positive.
2: Now he's backing that, up. <laughs> I know. Well, just I'm trying to remember. Why are you madly um, pressing Google, I mean, Daniel?
0: The, the, the base of my Playmates toy Borg figure is that claw symbol, so I guess
1: that's, that's, I'm, that's canon. I'm so.
2: pretty sure that you can. And best Wait, did of, they I'm, work for Dr. Claw? Wait a minute. Was he a Borg? <laughs> he was the first Borg. <laughs> Next week, Picard. Next time. Oh, but you were um, you were saying y- cut my stuff
1: out if that's wrong. Just cut it out.
2: No, we'll we'll definitely keep it in, in highlight. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think yeah. Again, you know, this is a which I know it's just a cue, but still, you know, this is another TNG original, the Borg TNG original. Um, Coming not to extra you live, like Voyager, a
0: TNG original. We're gonna <laughs> play it real smooth and uh, just <laughs> ready for some easy listening of the Borg.
2: TNG is filmed before a live studio audience. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, like you, like the the kit you're, you're making fun of. But yeah, you know, it, of course, it's one of those things. I, I think the the best of both worlds was better than than um, Q who Q who because I think it, it, it definitely looked like. Uh, <laughs>
0: We can't say...
2: Because can't I, I say think... <laughs> sorry, we'll cut the, that out The too. greatest two-parter of d history <laughs> is better than the entire season of <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. we'll saying? cut that out.
1: I'm so sorry, Tristan. I'm so sorry, Tristan and Char. I didn't mean that. journey.
2: <laughs> now they're never going to have us on this podcast again. <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> but yeah because i think you it definitely kind of looked like oh you know i see what they're doing but uh, best of both worlds and then of course in first contact but um yeah 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 i mean again i think it's more the scale than the design i mean other than it's, it's a cube and it looks like brick-a-block um mm-hmm. but uh yeah i mean i don't know what, what can you say about the outside of the boar cube it's it's huge and and I mean, like, like we, I kind of talked about with some of the other ships, like, you know, you can't really tell what it does. I mean, the board, there's nothing you can tell about what the board cube does. <laughs> there's no
0: discernible bridge, no living quarters, no propulsion of any kind, as I can see.
2: They just have these drawers they put babies in. Oh, well, whatever. Baby drawers.
1: <laughs> baby drawers. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, I can't find my socks. Oh, it's just above the baby drawer. <laughs>
0: <I know that. laughs> uh, but. Anyway, uh, yeah. So, but what are what are your thoughts on the? Uh, uh, do, would you even compare it to all of
1: Voyager in some way, Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I I just feel like this has to be like in main. I just it has to be. There's no. How can you argue against this? This has to be a direct um, answer to the Death Star. Like, how do you like? I mean, this has to be like. What is scarier than a sphere? I know! It's a cube! Like, like I don't, like... I mean, I don't get me wrong. I actually think it's really imposing and really threatening. Especially, of course, how it's presented to us um, as Star Trek fans. But, like, the idea of a very simple geometric shape. Like, what's scarier than no sides? Like, nine sides! Like, are you, like, I don't know. Like, what do you do? I don't know how you increase the tension, if that's what their point was. But it's... That's no... That's no moon, I guess, because it's that's square. No ice cube. Like no ice cube. <laughs> exactly.
2: You know, the hard part with the Borg is you have to get all the colors on the same side. And it Takes me <laughs> for hours you, that's to how do you that. Destroy
0: a Borg cube. If you get all the right color on each side, then it, it self destructs.
1: Yes, but I do like it though. I like, I like, and I wish again with all, frankly, with all of TNG, with all of really most of Star Trek, which we never ever really get until. I would argue until um, the JJ verse, we don't really get a sense of scale of the ships. Um, I kind of wish—I know that might be unpopular—but I do feel like yeah, uh, we get some scale in JJ.
0: All of our uh, uh, our
1: listener base
0: in this one episode, Daniel. It's fine.
1: (laughs) You know what? There is another whatever.
2: The the (laughs) original Enterprise is this size, and the Vengeance is the size of the sun. Yeah, we get scale. (laughs) We get scale. You're right.
1: Hey, okay, I didn't say everything was perfect in... Okay, well, whatever. We will get into it. This is not the podcast for that. Um, but to be fair, no, I do think that um, we never really get a sense. Like, okay, so what do we get? In Best of Both Worlds, we get a first-person view of the cube fighting uh, the Enterprise-D in both of its parts, right? And then in and First Contact we literally get a, a kind of a view of dozens of starships fighting the the Borg cube but it doesn't look that much bigger not really you know it doesn't seem that like it could take out all of these ships i don't know i just feel like that it's supposed to be so much more bigger and imposing than we ever get especially in tng we never get that sense of hugeness that we should i think that we should, that we're supposed to get it's not like I, I, when the Millennium Falcon is uh, just I'm sorry, this yeah. is a Star Wars thing here. But when the Millennium Falcon is coming up to is in the tractor beam and it's coming up to the, you know, to the Death Star and you can tell that this thing is just absurdly large. We never get that. Like when even when they show in the same shot we see this the the Borg cube and the Enterprise D, they kind of look scalable, but they shouldn't be. Like they should be Ten times larger, or whatever it is, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the cube is
2: bigger than
0: a starbase. I mean, it's it's yep. huge.
2: Oh wait, but could it fit inside the starbase doors? <laughs> yes, it would.
1: <laughs> yes. It would always be able to fit inside the starbase doors, no matter what. <laughs>
2: Good Lord,
0: no, let's not get started on starbase scale. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, well,
2: I think there's, there's one challenge in with the Borg cube, but I think all of Star Trek sometimes has a problem with scale. And the only time I can think of good scale, and it's going to sound silly, I know, the only time I can, th- that I really got like, wow, this ship is really, really big compared to the Enterprise was in the original series with the Corbomite maneuver, when like you see like, there, here's the, here's the ship and you just <laughs> see like, boom, you know, this huge, which is like the cheapest effect ever, but like, it looks huge compared to the original series ship. Um, so that was the only time I really got like great scale, as opposed to like, that thing is big.
0: I know, like, isn't I'm um, um in the TNG episode uh, where their their memories are erased and they're taking part of that you know imaginary war and they're supposed to Natural. destroy yeah and they're supposed to destroy that base and it's supposed to be this huge base it, it, I never got a sense that this thing was huge it, and it's weird like zigzag pattern but it, it's like again yeah you're right I think a lot of times it was hard for TNG to establish a sense of scale. Um, just cuz it's like i said it's things in space it's really hard to 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 feel that
1: yeah and, and the thing is like in tng we i don't think we ever really got a fair scale of the enterprise d even like or even the e in the movies i don't think we ever established that
2: i mean if only they showed a person on the ship walking i could probably get it well
1: a- okay yeah but it- or even three people, right? Um, no, but no, you're abs- you're absolutely right. There, there was that moment, which is, and I we talked about this in our first contact episode, and I said, this is the closest I think that we get to a sense of scale of the enterprise. But, but even then, I don't, it's hard to compare it to one single person, right? It's, I, I don't know. To me, that that's kind mm-hmm. of. I mean, if only Exactuous. the Empire
0: State Building could be flying through space so we could line it up <laughs> next to the Enterprise and get a true sense of scale. Because if we know anything, it's we know how tall the Empire State Building is. <laughs> all right. Well, moving on to our, our last category, I just wanted to touch on uh, reused ships. And uh, there's actually a great section in Memory Alpha that covers all the studio models uh for TNG and, and and all the series and starting we're talking on, about the
2: ships not people. Yes, yes, They
0: were, Yes, the ships. Uh not the reused uh, studio model ships. <laughs> but <laughs> didn't I see that girl in the background in scene 4? Where's that scant man? Oh, there he is again. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, like starting off in the end of Season 1 in the neutral zone, we had the Cryonic Satellite, and that was strangely similar to the Relay Station 47 in Acriel and even closer looking to Starbase 47 in parallel. So obviously... I know. It's it's, uh, obviously 47. I think it was Cryonic Station... You know, 47, might as well just call it that. But, uh, but I mean, TNG was definitely known for reusing, and I, I wasn't, I'm sure I wasn't the only one to notice where there was, you know, those certain ships that we would see, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's that triangle ship. Again, I, that looks pretty familiar. But, uh, I think some of the other ones, I think, uh, you had. I think there was like a triangle. Yeah, the triangle ship was. I think it's called the the Mondor, but it was in Samaritan Snare. Was in the Vengeance Factor, the Wounded, the Host, uh, Conundrum, Cost of Living. I mean, that's you know that's six episodes right there. And sometimes it would point towards us, and sometimes away. But that was the one I think that kind of the jig was up for me. It's like okay, I I, I recognize this ship. It's I've seen it several times.
2: Well, I think there is an evolution, because you had the original series. It's like, oh, look, it's a Constitution-class <laughs> ship. Oh, it's, it's 1071. Oh, it's that one. And then TNG, where you had sort of the more background ships. And then Deep Space Nine, it's like, yeah, let's go to uh, Nor. It looks totally different, because it's <laughs> tilted on the side.
0: Well, and it's really fun in this memory alpha page as I'm scrolling through it because, I mean, it's when you see it side by side, that's when it just becomes funny. I mean, they have this uh, escape pod from The Hunted, which I remember that was when he was like – he went behind the uh, asteroid and then ejected his escape pod. James Cromwell episode. Exactly. Another James Cromwell. Uh, But then right next to it is the Ferengi probe from Bloodlines, and it's literally the exact same angle shot, but it's like been
2: painted Ferengi orange. <laughs> and, hey, at least it put a coat of paint on it.
0: Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. But what what did you think about this reuse? I mean, obviously it's kind of ne- a necessity in television making. But how how did it come across to you, Daniel?
1: You know, I I see it, and most of the time it's it's not really even a distraction to me. Um, like I look forward to the future Star Trek series where they can just be like well, we'll just generate a new class type. You know, we'll just generate a new, you know, this is nothing. Because in have an the algorithm. 90s
0: They'll hit a button and it'll generate yeah. a, a cool looking Yeah,
1: <laughs> Procedurally generated starships. Yeah, absolutely. It won't be a problem at all. Um, but, you know, you know, in the, the late 80s and early 90s, it, the, there was very little, you know, CGI. It was mostly we had to build a model. And it's expensive to do and difficult to do. We had to start from scratch and design and build and, and so I like I can I can um, I can forgive it most of the time if it's not super duper obvious you know what I mean like if they don't change the scales ridiculously like whoa this is a starbase in in the you know in the twenty third century and this is a starbase in the twenty fourth century and everybody can fit through the doors oh like, d- you know, why, are you, <laughs> why are you going there Daniel why are you going there <laughs> but. Um, uh, you know, for the most part, but I you see, pre-
2: the problem was they spent all the money on the Ferengi ship. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, they figured we're going to use this thing forever, like every other week.
1: <laughs> Maybe they did. You know, there's actually a good chance that they did do that. I mean, but, yeah, you uh, can tell you know, they put
0: a lot of thought into it, or at least money yeah. into the model.
1: Certainly. Oh, it's a it's a really, really classy model. Um, and I just, uh, like I said, it doesn't it doesn't bother me most of the time, but... I have to say, the next Star Trek cannot have, almost cannot even have repeated ship classes. I I have to say that. Like, I feel like there should just always be, you know what I mean? Like, always be just something new. There's no reason at this point. It's not cheaper to, you just go for it, man. Just go for it.
2: Are you saying, as a fan, you will you will not be disappointed if you don't see, like, 50 Excelsiors going around new?
1: Oh, God. No, no, no. They, they,
0: they start with one, and it's, like, in the opening shot, and then you realize it's, like, in the mothball fleet around Earth, and that's the last time we ever see it again. So it's, like, the whole double take, you know, or the, it's the psych out where it's, like, oh, gosh, the, this ship is really still being used? Oh, wait, no. It's a museum piece. Well, hopefully not all of our favorites will end up in the mothball fleet, but it's been a lot of fun talking about uh, alien ships on TNG today, but this is just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about here on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network.
2: Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Where no man has
1: gone before a comic versus episode. They talk about how we just picked up this psychiatrist from a... Uh, Alderban
2: Aldib Aldib shoot Alderon. let's just call it Alderaan Earl Grey
1: All Good Things In a universe where Troy is dead the Enterprise D lives on that's all <laughs> I want to say it's the only thing that matters <laughs> The Ready Room Simple Defense Ducat recorded messages, obviously for a lot of different um, scenarios. Isn't it funny to think it. of him, like you know, whatever, ten years before this episode, yeah. like you know, putting a day aside, it's like I have to do, I have to sit in front of a camera all day, and just think of ways they could screw us. The orb, yes, <laughs> do so we'll
0: us
2: part. His are,
0: are, are very quizzical in nature. They, they're of the scientist. They're of the somebody who, who is willing to accept. Okay, where, what is this reality? What's going on? She's just all like, tell me
2: what to do right now. You know, like, she, right. she, there's nothing spiritual about her. To the journey! Voyager Season 4 Marathon.
1: I was working full-time on top of being a full-time student, and I... Listen,
2: I don't, I don't want to hear your excuses, okay? I don't want to hear them.
1: <laughs> like, life was happening, and...
2: A great man once told me, if something's important to you, you make the time. Warp 5. Ordanians on Enterprise. Part of what this episode of Enterprise is about for me is it's the search for the Organian society to, to find compassion again. Commentary, Trek Stars. Cliff Bull, Bull and the X-Files, Bad Blood. It's but. actually
1: kind of odd because the audience can piece together the narrative flow better than, you know, their boss.
2: That's because their boss didn't have the, uh, the brilliant direction of Cliff Bull to uh, observe literary treks. Greg Cox, no time like the past. The one thing I had to be very careful of, and this was another sort of potential minefield that I had to navigate, was nobody in Kirk's time knows who the Borg are. So she can't like, oh, hi, I'm seven of nine. I'm a former Borg. Yeah, you know, They don't know the Borg. She has to be careful not to tell them the Borg. And introducing Continuing Mission, our newest show all about fan series and independent productions. Star Trek continues with Doug Drexler.
1: Everybody who does a Star Trek show in CG, the first thing they do is make the ship 947 feet long. Well, There's no way it's going to look the same because the ship that they shot on television wasn't 2,000 feet long. It was 11 feet long.
2: And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
0: So check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek Talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zoom, or you can stream from our website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for the podcast directory to get all the links. Now, we have some great feedback from our last episode on Geordie LaForge, uh, one of our Twitter followers, Paula uh, from the Universe of England. (laughs) Uh, She uh, has been a loyal listener to the show for a long time and Uh, one of, she had a very unique perspective on this episode as she is also blind and she had some great comments on feeling that the character of Jordy, it, she felt it was very, he was almost written in a stereotypical blind way. And she had a good point that often, you know, or she would be surprised if he didn't go back to his quarters and just, you know, take off his visor for a while, especially if it caused him pain all the time. And, Just, you know, he would know everything is and he'd be able to maneuver around without. So, but she definitely brought a great perspective to that character, um, you know, something that that we really can't envision in that regard. So, so thank you, Paula, though, for, for reaching out to us and, uh, and sharing, um, you know, sharing your thoughts. So what did, what did you guys think of, uh, of her, her comment?
1: You know, and Darren, it's, it's interesting because I've never considered it this way before, but you know generally when i'm watching tng i don't look i I kind of see past Jordy's blindness like it's not like an issue that pops up to me or occurs to me like his constant pain that he goes through or the, the the struggle that he has to deal with day to day and and just to think that he would go back to his quarters every night and just remove his visor like i said in the episode you know Something we're told early on in the series is that he's going through constant pain to see what he sees, and and I guess that makes total sense. That he, that's exactly probably what he would do is just go home and and just remove that and just and just eat your. It's it's true. He's he probably knows exactly where everything is in his quarters. He's probably completely comfortable in that zone. And uh, I actually really appreciated that comment because it it, it really did kind of it made me it made me conceive of things in a way that I normally don't. And, uh, and just, to, just to think of things in a, in a totally foreign concept to me, and I, I actually really appreciated that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the points that, that her comment really made me think about was, and maybe only once, but I think that maybe one critique you could have is that they never showed Geordi being comfortable without the visor. You know, it was always like, oh, my gosh, I dropped the visor. And you do the whole, like, feeling around for, and, oh, my gosh, where to go. And, like, calm down, Jordy, Calm down. You've been like this since birth. You'll find the visor. You know, you can live for five seconds without it. Because I think, like, the only time we really saw him where where he seemed comfortable, you know, with just, you know, um, without the visor and not being able to see was, and I can't remember the episode, but it was an early season one where he where he was shaving. You know, without the visor, when data came in, and he was just sort of like Jordy being Jordy inside of his quarters. But I think that's definitely one thing that, that, you know, whether it's Skin of Evil or, or in any of the other episodes where somehow his visor gets taken off and he sort of, like, panics, um, which, I mean, I, I can get that that can happen, you know, for, for, you know, for folks who, you know, maybe if they have any kind of assistance, whether it's a, a dog or a cane or a person or whatever, you know, um, assistance they have, they suddenly lose that they, there's a momentary panic. But when you're there on, you know, the starship, it's, it's, it would have been nice to see him maybe be more comfortable with, with who he was.
0: So thank you, Paula, for reaching out to us and, and sharing that opinion uh, on our our Geordie episode. We also have an iTunes review in the store from Jerry Guso. Uh, he says, I'm a little miffed. Uh, I know you all promised to never walk into the holodeck while I had a program running, but I think that should be extended to ripping the thought straight out of my head. It's... Is one of you from BetaZed, When I listen to your podcast, it seem I seem to be either laughing out loud because you said what I was thinking, or actually saying the words at the same time as you. Well done, people! Thanks for being just as geeky as me. Smiley face. So thanks, Jerry. Yeah, we we definitely try to get inside our audience's head. Uh, you know, that's actually all that Troy is good for. But uh, but thank you for uh, for leaving us an iTunes review.
1: Pain joy joy and
0: gratitude well if you'd like to be like Paula or Jerry and contact us to share our thoughts on today's episode just go to trek.fm slash contact from there choose the form and choose send a show select Earl Grey and these messages will be emailed to the three of us you can also use the tab on the right hand side of any page on trek.fm to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone the conversation is always going on with our podcast crew and other listeners in our forums at trek.fm forums. And finally, in social media, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Before we go, I'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring Earl Grey to you each week. Our sponsor for this week is audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books that you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd had time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from. And new titles are being added each week, from classics to current bestsellers, and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World. Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek.fm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and those latest novels from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash Trek.fm and sign up today. So we thank Audible for supporting Earl Grey and Trek FM. And lastly, there is one more way you can directly help us keep Earl Grey coming to you each week, and that's by adopting some aliens. If you go to TrekFM/donate, you'll find eight original alien illustrations by Tobuushi, who does most of the artwork you see on our website. They're available in both badges and art prints, and there are different contribution levels you can choose from. Just let us know what you'd like and in what format. Again, you'll find them at TrekFM/donate, and your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring you this show each and every week. So, guys, if someone wanted to talk to you about, you know, your favorite ship or maybe just what scale you think that Klingon bird of prey should be, uh, where would they find you, Philip?
1: Which bird of prey?
2: Um, they can find me to figure out um, whether it has a defective warp coil by finding me on Twitter at handle NC Public Servant, That's NC like North Carolina.
0: And, Daniel, if, you know, they want to do some more sketches of the d class, you know, vertical, maybe like an X pattern with the wings, just something crazy, uh, how would they reach you?
1: Oh, please do. They can reach me at uh, 1UpDan on Twitter, and that is the number one, not the word.
0: And if they'd like to discuss any of these designs or, of course, point out all of the ships that I missed in my list, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter Under Dr. Sci-Fi, or if you want to talk about other ships from other fandoms, I'm actually covering that as this month's topic over on the Dr. Sci-Fi show, which is available on iTunes and drsci-fi.com. So, guys, I think uh, the antithesis of TNG design will be realized in the future when a ship that literally looks like the number 47 comes on the screen because i think that's really the only way they can go so i'm gonna start uh, i'm gonna open up some autocad and start designing that right away live long and prosper
2: make it so engage fire